welcome to Queering Little Women, a podcast following the adventures of trans man Joe March on his travels through time and space. Episode 2, Chapter 2, A Merry Christmas, in which the kids put on a play. In Chapter 2, it's Christmas Day. The kids wake up to find that they have, I think those are Bibles. Do you think it's Bibles under their pillow? There was an annotation about that and how there's sort of speculation about whether or not it's the... the it might be just the New Testament. The New Testament, I yeah. kind of thought that. That's what... Because they I, said it was a story of the greatest life ever lived. Uh-huh. Again, yeah. whoever said in the last episode that Christ is absent in these books can fucking suck it. Because this is a book about Christ. Uh, here's, here's what the annotation says. Anne K. Phillips argues that the little book is the New Testament, pointing out that in The Pilgrim's Progress... Christian, mm. who's the main character in Pilgrim's Progress, is given the New Testament as a guide by the interpreter, and noting that in chapter 19 of Little Women, Amy's will, in Amy's will, when she thinks she's going to die, oh, because right, when Beth, she, has, Beth Scarlet has Scarlet Fever, um, Amy lays her, lays her Little Testament and hymn book on, mm. the, on her chapel table. So that's why this person so infers that it is the, the New Testament. But it's not clear. But it says it's a, it's a stale, tale of the greatest life ever lived. It's probably the New Testament. Yeah. And Marmy is then the guide or whatever that you're talking about in Pilgrim's Progress. So the kids wake up. It's Christmas morning. They all have little books under their pillows. Meg says she's going to read read it every day. And it's all, again, It's this book is about these kids trying to, one way you could say it is trying to be good. Another way you could say it is trying to conform to the roles of their society. Then they go down and they are going to have this really nice Christmas breakfast. But their mom is like, hey, we should go take it to these poor German people. And they do that and they feel great about themselves. They feel really great they about themselves. They feel super good about themselves for giving away their breakfast to people who have nothing. And then they still get to come home and they have bread and milk, which is not so bad. Then they give Marmy her presents. She's so happy. Adorable. So sweet. Amy, who previously had been planning to suck and only use part of her money to buy Marmy a present and use the rest on herself, has a change of heart, buys a bigger bottle of cologne for her mother, but then brags about how now she has the best present. Really brags a lot. Because she's a super jerk. Then the kids put on Christmas play, which has nothing to do with Jesus, as was noted in a comment in the annotated version, that people were pretty pissed about that in the 1860s. Whereas, put the Christ in Christmas, Lou. Seriously. Yeah, apparently... Not, it's not put the witch in Christmas, it's not witch miss. Apparently, the war on Christmas goes back. We've been waging this war for well over a hundred years. Seriously. And we still haven't fucking gotten rid of Christmas. So, shape up, liberal commie pinkos. Get your act together. <laughs> they put on a Christmas play, and then they come downstairs, and there's a super nice, fancy, beautiful feast for them. With ice put on cream in December. Two kinds, <laughs> two different dishes of ice cream. I didn't even think about that. I did. I was like, oh, okay. That's, uh, all right. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess it's a lot easier. It's a lot cheaper to make ice cream in December. You would think. Because of ice being right. plentiful. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe maybe ice cream in the summer is, like, a modern thing. I don't think that's really true. I think they had big chunks of ice. Anyway, they have a feast. They have ice cream and bonbons and cakes and stuff. 
And uh, it turns out it's been sent by the neighbors, Mr. Lawrence, the old gentleman, and Laurie, that neighbor boy, the Lawrence boy. Lawrence. I don't think we learned his name until the next chapter. Oh, the Lawrence boy. Yeah, the Lawrence boy. Oh, this is also the chapter where we first get in, uh, introduced to the racist dialect thing that they do with Hannah, where they write her words all in a different way, because she's black. What did you notice in this chapter? Since you just mentioned Hannah, mm-hmm. I have something to tell you. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Because we've had, so Maggie and this I have had this discussion. This should be a discussion. segment called, I have something to tell you. <laughs> okay. I have something to tell you. Tell so. Me. I, we, Aunt Maggie and I have discussed mm-hmm. about how the ethnicity of Hannah. I have been thinking Hannah's black this whole time. You thought Hannah was like German or something? I thought shit? Hannah was German, which I might Bullshit. have just been confusing her with the Hummels. Yeah. Or whatever. But there is a, was a note <laughs> about an annotation uh-huh. about Hannah the first time that she spoke, uh-huh. which says, Hannah Mullet, the March's housekeeper, may be of English descent, as the name has its origins in Anglo-Saxon language. It is the diminutive of mule. We can explore that in a minute. Mullet is the diminutive of mule. <laughs> Just, Just think about the next time you see someone with a mullet, <laughs> that it's like they have a little mule on their head. <laughs> Thank you. Wait, wait, mullet is a literal translation of burrito. A mullet and a burrito, right? The diminutive of mule. El burro, burrito... It's a little mule, You're right? making me hungry. Okay. <laughs> okay. So anyway, it goes on to say, despite her nationality, Hannah, um, Lou, clearly points out, is treated more like family than like a servant. Mm, I mean, that's how the marches see it. It says, so I, I put out the, you know, they don't, the family's regarded by the family as, more as a friend than a servant. Yes. I wonder if Hannah sees it that way. I wonder that too. Because in the book, it says that sentence, and then Meg immediately says... So, go fry your cakes and get everything ready. So, to me, it seems like there's some mixed mixed evidence on whether Hannah's really a member of the family. I mean, they do all work. They all work really hard all the time. Sure, sure. But I thought that was funny that Meg was like, it was immediately the right next sentence after. Right. More of a friend than a servant was, go do the work. Yeah. I have some questions. What is Marmy's first name? Not, like, real Marmy, but Marmy in the book. Does she have a name? Because her first um, initial is supposed to be M, like Meg, because Meg is the same as Marmy. Oh, yeah. Um, What's her fucking name? It might be May. Oh. I think you're right. Well, because Abigail's maiden name, Abigail Alcott, who's mm-hmm. Marmy, is based off of, her maiden name was, was May. May. That's why it's Louisa May Alcott. Right. Sure. And, um, and actually, May Alcott, the Amy character... Her birth name was actually Abigail, and then later went by May, which was Whoa. her middle, which was also her middle Whoa. name. Yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm. All of my siblings and I have our mom's maiden name as our second middle name. As your second so we middle, have two middle name. We two middle names. So my name is okay. Margaret Rose Sullivan Ewing. Oh. My mom's maiden name is my last name. Huh. Yeah. I took my mom's maiden name when I what legally changed idea. my name. Yep. Rad. We had a conversation off air about how much we love our moms. By the way, I want to put th- I want that on the record. I love I my love mom. my mom. My mom is amazing. Yeah, she's my hero. She's like Marmy, but better. Um, yeah, totally. I have another question. <clears throat> um, what is a Sancho? At some point, it's like Joe is referred to as a Sancho. Where is that? Because mm. I'm sure there's an annotation for it. It's oh, like here. after they bring food to the Hummels. Sancho. 
Panza is the skeptical, humorous, witty, and faithful squire or companion of Don Quixote and Don Miguel de Carnival's Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. So what does that have to do with in context, though? Yeah, because the quote says, the, girl, the girls had never been called angel children before and thought it very agreeable, especially Joe, who had been considered a Sancho ever since she was born. Yeah, what, I what the heck does that? Mean? I wrote that that same um, quote down as well. I think yeah, because a Sancho. I don't know Don Quixote very well. Do you know that story? Do you no, know Sancho Kaiba? Panza is like Sancho Panza is like he's like the sidekick, right? Is that what it says? I think he's sort of like he's the humor, the skeptical, humorous, witty, and faithful squire or companion of Don Quixote, which makes me think they're gay, super gay. They're totally gay together, just like they're going to Joe Bone March. Town. just like Joe March. Joan Mar- Joe March is gay. He Super is, gay. He's so gay. And I just want to, like, make it clear that Maggie and I will be using he, him pronouns for Joe March. Sometimes I fuck it up because the book the fucks book, it up the so book, consistently. Yeah, consistently fucks it up. Um, however, Maggie and I are, we're doing the work to make sure we're using the correct pronouns for Joe March, which we believe to be he, him pronouns. And since Joe is fictional... We've, we feel comfortable making we, a reading and, and making a determination. Yeah, we like feel that. like we can say that. And you can, uh, if you want to look back to episode one, we make some pretty clear text. We find pretty clear textual evidence. I would that. say yes. Similarly, uh, talking about Joe, there's something that says, no gentlemen were admitted, so Joe played male parts to her heart's content mm. in, the, in the plays. And then... Similarly, in the plays, here's an interesting thing about the characters in the plays. Mm -hmm. So, Joe is playing the male parts to Joe's heart's content, right? Yeah. But then, it's kind of unclear because there's a scene in the play where I think it's the the girl's father is yelling at the, like, um, heroin guy. Mm -hmm. Or they're having some sort of, like parting of ways mm-hmm. or something. Right. So it wasn't clear to me which male part Joe was playing. However, there was a part when Meg first enters where it says, I think she was playing the witch, mm-hmm. and it says Meg's on the stage, and then from then on they're using the characters' names. However, it was like Lou was making it clear that this was Meg. However, when all of the male parts were being referenced, mm-hmm. there was it never Whoa. said Joe, and it only ever used he, him pronouns. Ah. When it was talking about those characters, which were being played by Joe. I'm so assuming. Joe was, so, me, so these plays were like a way for Joe to embody yeah. Their yeah. Real, his real gender. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, I found that to be very interesting. But I have a question about who in the family has red hair. Because there's this one point where it's like the villain falls down and they say, oh, it, it was rather spoiled by a bunch of red hair falling down. And I'm like, which character is that? Oh, I thought that that was Joe. Does Joe have red hair? Was it red hair? It's just red hair. On your on your version? Yeah, let me find it. Hugo drinks the love potion, etc., etc. It's right before, so there's a paragraph that starts with act fourth and it's right before that paragraph in the third act. It says, this was a truly thrilling scene, though some persons might have thought that the sudden tumbling down of a quantity of long red hair rather marred the effect of the villain's death. He was called before the curtain and with greater propriety appeared. And that's got to be Joe because... Yeah, it has to be Joe if it was the villain. Yeah, and because he's leading Hagar, whose singing is wonderful, and Meg is the one who has a good singing voice. So I guess now it says that Joe has red hair. I don't know. This doesn't really matter. I just wonder about it. 
So one of these little plays that the March family puts on, mm-hmm. that the March siblings do, is actually something the, the Alcotts did as well. Mm. And here is um, a fun fact, is that Anna, actually, after Lou died, published a collection. We have to do one. <laughs> We have to do one. Published a collection of their stories. Can and, you get it? And there, there's a long forward that's uh, written as a uh, forward by Meg. And the, the book is called Comic Tragedies. And mm. here's, a quote, here's a quote from Anna Alcott, who's okay. the Meg character, that says, uh-huh. Joe, of course, played the villains, ghosts, bandits, and disdainful queens for her tragedy-loving soul delighted in the lurid parts and no drama was perfect in her eyes without a touch of the demonic or supernatural. Ooh. Meg No loved, Christ in those plays. <laughs> Meg loved the sentimental roles, the tender maiden with the airy robes and flowing locks who made impossible sacrifices for ideal lovers or the cavalier singing soft serenades and performing lofty acts of gallantry and prowess. Mm-hmm. I think we need to find that book and do one of the plays. Sure. Yeah, I haven't sought this book out yet. But there's lovely, there's been a lot of lovely quotes from Anna Alcott in the annotations that's specifically from that book. Mm. Um, because Anna Anna Alcott and Lou were besties. Mm-hmm. They were totally besties. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's really lovely. I had some more thoughts about the play. I noticed that the, they, they feel the need to morally justify the play. Like, it says it was excellent drill for their memories and a harmless amusement. Like, it's making a case that this play is an okay thing to do. Well, and I wonder if Lou maybe added some of those things when she was getting the critique that there was no exactly. Christ and that there was the, it was witch miss, that not Christmas. That we heard Christ in the previous. Right. Exactly. Right. And so, therefore, Lou added some of those other aspects to maybe make it a little bit more godly, but not, like, super mm-hmm. godly. And then I was also wondering, like, for us as readers, what's the point of the play? Like, is it just to be fun? Is that kind of the purpose that the play serves in the story? It's just like, I don't really know. And actually, quite frankly, I'm not the hugest fan of that. You know, I was a little bit dreading chapter two because I knew it was mostly the play. play. Mm -hmm. And I find some of those stories a little like, it's, I, I don't, I'm not. As fond of it as I am of the March family, and sure. I would much rather like dwell. In I feel their that story. way too. Like later when they yeah. do like the newspapers and shit, I'm just With like the Pickwick. Yeah, I can find that yeah. annoying. Yeah, but you're like the queer reading, seeing this as an opportunity for Joe to get to inhabit male gender. That makes it a totally different thing for me. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, it made it very different for me too. And when I actually did read it, read it this time because I was putting it off a little bit, and then when I did mm-hmm. read it, I actually quite enjoyed it. I mean, it was. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, it wasn't so long that it was annoying or anything. And when I was reading it, it was easy enough to follow, et cetera. And it was fine. You know, it was fine. And I do, I do think the part about it being a space for Joe to inhabit um, male gender is really kind of key that Joe needed more of those outlets for him to really, like, Mm -hmm. it, it feel more at home right to his heart's content right i know i know yeah and i think the you don't see too many um in the relationship between joe and meg as much in the march family reflecting what i've come to understand the relationship between lou and anna Mm -hmm. is but there was a quote in the beginning of chapter two that says 
Margaret had a sweet and pious nature which unconditionally influenced mm-hmm. her sisters, especially Jo, mm-hmm. who loved her very tenderly and obeyed her because her advice was so gently given. And I think that that, you know, when I'm really reading it and thinking about, because I've been trying to sort of like search for the um, tenderness that mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that Lou shared for Anna with Joe's relationship yeah. with Meg, and that was the first time that I was like, "Oh, there it is." Because yeah, most of the time when I when I read it, it's all about when I think about the sisters' relationships. I think about it's like Meg and Amy, Joe and Beth. Yeah, I think Beth. I think Joe and Beth for sure, mm-hmm. and then I don't think of, I don't really pair Meg and Amy. Mm. I, I just think of them more independently. I mean, certainly Amy, because she's so disparate from the others, I think. But see, I think, like, when we talked about their flaws in the first chapter, yeah. it's, like, Beth's and Joe's, quote-unquote, Joe's flaws yeah. are really just ways that they don't fit into their culture, whereas yep. Meg and Amy both are really comfortable taking on this, like, gendered role that they have in society, yeah. and their flaws are more these kinds of, like, sort of classic spiritual faults, you know? Yeah. So I feel like they have this thing in common where it's just, like, Meg can sort of tell Amy, like, don't be so, like, affected, just be an elegant lady, you know? Yeah. But it's, like, Meg can't tell Joe, you know? Like, and, and whereas Beth, and Joe had that bond where in the previous chapter, Beth is, like, consoling him and saying, you know, like, oh, you just have to content yourself, you know? Oh, yeah. And that that line, actually, I find truly heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Truly, truly heartbreaking, that line from Beth, that you have to content yourself to being our brother and mm-hmm. and call yourself, uh, make your name boyish, which, yeah. is, which is exactly what Lou did. Right. Was ma- made their name, abbreviated their name to two letters and mm-hmm. made it mm-hmm. made it boyish and... Like have to you just have to content yourself to this because I mean in eighteen sixty there was like that was what you had to what do what you had to like you it's had, really a had to yeah 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 I mean and the best that Lou could do at the time as a real life person mm-hmm. was you know like battle corsets or like write mm-hmm. about you know um, suffrage and fight for suffrage etc mm-hmm. but like that wasn't really what it was about you know. Right. And I think, but I think that that's part of why Beth and Joe can understand each other because Beth sort of doesn't fit into the world. Right. In, in a different way, but I think can understand that, like, this is just your situation and you have to find a way to deal with it because yeah. that's what Beth is doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What else in this chapter? What's a dress circle? Do you know what that means? This what the annotation says? Yeah. In, the, in a theater. In a theater. The dress circle contains the lowest tier of seats cho- um, closest to the stage. Oh, so when they say the dress circle is set up on a folding bed, they, they basically mean, mean the front the row. The audience, the front row. Yeah. The front row. Why is that called a dress circle? It's It was written in 1868. Okay, fine, fine, Come fine, on. fine, 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 fine. Oh, yeah. All right. Do you love the part when the bed folds up and then all the kids are stuck in the bed? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's really That's ridiculous. Nice. Yeah. That's very nice. Uh-huh. Um, we did meet some new characters in this chapter, meaning Mr. Lawrence mostly. Yeah, we don't actually meet him, though. We just learn of him. Learn of him, right. And there was an annotation about who Mr. Lawrence was based off of. Oh, yeah. I noticed you didn't mention that in your previous... They said that Mr. Lawrence was based off of either Abigail Marmee's dad or her brother. 
the, right because that's like the rich person right. who's kind of helps sort them of out takes care yeah of yeah yeah yep. sure uh-huh yeah so the dad was colonel may and the brother's name was samuel joseph may <laughs> yeah the kindly older gentleman next door yeah it's interesting the person who said that it was her father was maud appleton who's a real person who the character Goldilocks, which is in Little Men, which is Amy and Lori's child, Goldilocks. So Maud Appleton is based off of Wait, Goldilocks. Wait, they literally named their child Goldilocks? That's what, no, that's yes. terrible. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> that's the person who says that it was her dad. That's that. So there's like. There's Lou saying this character is this person, and then there's a lot of hearsay about like. Sure, other sure, people sure, sure. who other actually people like, knew oh, the Alcots that are like, that person is like oh well that. that person is blah blah right, blah right 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 you know that happens a lot and then also another fun fact is um in the play section they mm-hmm. talk about um Joe f- fencing and having like specific like fencing clothes mm-hmm, and like the doublet and um, yeah mm-hmm. right and that is something that Lou really had and oh. is on display at Orchard House. In Concord, where we will one day go. Yeah. Soon. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you think they let you put it on and play with it? Um, I hope so. Because that would be really pretty nice. I, I probably not, but... Um... I, I also... Another thing I loved in this chapter was the description of how they made the props and things. Like, they got the extra metal left over from when you punch out the lids of canning jars yeah. and like the the cave that's made of like the dresser and the, what's a clothes horse there was a clothes horse on top that is my mom my my mom in 2015 actually has one uh-huh. it's um it's just like a wooden thing that you hang clothes on to dry inside your house oh like one of those ones that unfolds yes oh yes that's, i have that yeah that's a clothes horse that's, that's called a clothes horse yeah and it's funny because I also was, when I was reading, it was like, what the hell is a clothes horse? And then as soon as I read the annotation, I was like, oh my god, SLC, which is what I call my mom, says that. Mm. Calls her thing a clothes horse she all the time. A, yeah, I but remember she's... my mom saying the word clothes yeah. horse to me when I was a kid, but I don't know what it is. I mean, my mom says it in a Long Island Does accent. your mom, like, <laughs> say, did your mom ever refer to pants as slacks? Because that is Sometimes. a major my mom thing. I feel like Sometimes. one of her main anachronisms. How old is your mom? A 71. Sorry, wow. mom. My mom, because my mom is 60. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> My mom's about to turn 68. Okay. So that's similar. interesting. We my mom was born in 1944. Yeah. My mom was born in 1947. Yeah. And that's a thing. About, it's like secretly they're from the 1950s. And you just like don't think about that. When you think about, when I think about my mom, I'm not like, oh, that person kind of comes from the 1950s. But mm. she does. She does. She's a time traveler, really. And so she says things like clothes horse and slacks. Yeah. My mom says clothes horse all the time, only with a Long Island accent. My mom actually went to Brooklyn College and had her Brooklyn accent rigorously trained out of her. That was like a class that they had to take. They had to take like elocution class. Huh. That sounds horrible. Yeah. Um, shall we talk about um, Amy for a moment? Sure. Or our moms, whatever. So uh, we already talked about Amy changing the bottle for the large one. Which was a good move. Like, way to go, Amy. Right, right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wrote down this quote, I only meant to change the little bottle for a big one, and I gave all my money to get it, and I'm truly not trying to be selfish anymore. And so this is me, like, trying to give some yep, props yep, to Amy. Yep. Okay, all right, I and get that. Then and then it falls. immediately after that, she says, you see, I felt ashamed of my present after reading and talking about being good this morning, so I ran around the corner to change it. 
the minute and then I was so glad for mine is the handsomest now. And then you're just like fucking a Amy. Seriously. And then oh my god, have you seen the 1949 version of Little Women? No, the, I've only seen the, the Winona Ryder 1994. Okay, so while reading this chapter, I had this amazing, beautiful memory from uh, of a visual from the book mm-hmm. from the from the film rather the 1949 version elizabeth taylor plays amy mm-hmm. in this version whoa yes it's, whoa. yeah so good and so when they go to the hummel's house mm-hmm. she, <laughs> she liz taylor there's like all the little hummel children and yeah, they're yeah, like yeah. Mm-hmm. sitting in the bed all together uh-huh. and she uh, liz taylor has a little popover in her hand and so she breaks off a piece of the popover it like a bunch of little pieces and she goes one for you one for you one for you and one for me one for you, one for you, one for you, and one for me. Fucking Amy. <laughs> but that's I mean, not in the book. That's it's not It's not at all in the book. However, I think that it was, like, this beautiful, like, it really it's expresses so Amy. expresses Amy so yep. clearly yep. Yep. is that, like, that's, that's something that Amy would do. And I just, I remember that scene so vividly. And, of course, Liz Taylor looks fabulous. She just mm-hmm. looks mm-hmm. fabulous. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, we didn't really talk about going to see the Hummels very much. It's actually a pretty short scene, which I hadn't realized. I think of it sort of looms large in my mind, these people called the Hummels. Yeah, and I'm, like, what? I'm not, I have mixed feelings about mm-hmm. that trip. Right, like, wouldn't it be, Would it? Is it nicer to just, like, if you want to give somebody something, just give it to them instead of, like, coming and... Well, it feels, especially because at that time, one of the annotations was talking about how at that time, Germans were, like, really... Super, the, super discriminated right. against. Yeah. Like, they were, like, the so, worst kind of white people. Right, and yeah. there was, like, a big... So it felt kind of white savory. Oh, yeah. To me, that they were, like, coming in and, like, mm-hmm. oh, we're gonna, like, give you all this and then we'll have, you know, we'll have bread and butter today. For one meal. Yeah. And you can have one good meal. And right. You and you guys can be, poor. you guys can be warm on Christmas. And, and then, then, like, probably freeze to death tomorrow. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, it didn't leave me feeling warm and fuzzy. I know. It really... I mean, and I think that that's the thing that keeps coming up in this book that's uncomfortable is that it's like this book is I I don't I don't know if this is actually true. I imagine it that this book is like directed at the sort of aristocratic people in that time and place. So it's like, oh, these people are poor in comparison to what you might think the audience is aristocratic adults. No, children. But like like not the Hummels, not like immigrant children, not poor well, children, white. not lower class it's written children. for white. Children. Which did not include Germans at that time. I mean, I don't know. Um, but I mean, but I, th- I think, I don't know, that's the read I'm getting is that it's sort of like, um, I don't know, like even if, even if it's not implicitly, I think that's the audience. Like, I've been, I remember being in a church one time. I feel like this happens a lot when people start talking about, like, oh, the poor, and we want to help the poor. And you're like, did you think about that there are probably poor people in the room right now? And you're acting as though, like, that's another thing, not here. And I feel like this book is, like, yeah. as long as you don't think of it from the Hummel's perspective, this is a jolly story about how the girls are so good and they go and share their food. It is very othering, yeah. Yeah, othering, precisely. And And I think that, yeah, the people are meant to identify with the marches and not with the Hummels. Definitely, they're not supposed to identify with the Hummels. 
for sure. Yeah. The book was, the audience was supposed to be famously for girls. Sure. That was what um, uh, the publisher who um, asked Lou Mm -hmm. to write something said, I want you to write a book for girls. And so that was what it was supposed to be And it was serialized, right? Did it come out in newspapers or what? It came out in two parts. And no, it wasn't in newspapers. It just came out in two parts. I always thought it, because they're so, it's so like episodic. Like each chapter is like a little... It came out in two parts um, because the first part was so wildly popular. um, Then Lou was commissioned to write the second part. Which is sometimes called Good Wives. Which was actually more popular than the first part. Fascinating. The second part was, yeah. The second Mm -hmm. part is very different. I'm reading it now to my sweetheart and it's it's really different. I I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we talk more about Hannah? I mean, is there more to say about the debate about... Because well, essentially this annotation is saying she's white. Right. The annotation is like, and don't worry about it. She's just a poor English lady. I, didn't, I mean, I would sort of assume that it's more likely that she is white and that she's an immigrant. Why? She, so her... Okay, let's talk about... I don't I don't feel like... There isn't a lot of her... Lou does the, the kinds of like... When Lou tries to write people... you know in a different like in quote-unquote dialect Dialect. i don't think that they do a very good job of that because i noticed this is such a weird little nitpick but in the first chapter they say something about like singing um and they talk about little kids singing crinkle crinkle it'll tar instead of twinkle twinkle little star and i was just like that's backwards people learn to say tuh before they learn to say cuh like everyone knows (laughs) that little kids could say twinkle before they could say crinkle blah um, I didn't know that. I know you didn't know that. And it's pro- there are probably exceptions, but like that's why little kids say ote instead of okay. Like some little kids. Will- anyway, I thought that was silly. So I think that what is let's find Hannah's speech. I mean, whatever it is, like regardless of what specifically what Hannah's race is supposed to be, it's definitely othering Hannah to write everyone else in English and then try to write Hannah's speech phonetically. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it sets Hannah apart, which you would think that if Hannah was truly supposed to be a member of the family, family, then they would just be like, oh, she has a different accent than us. That's normal. Right, right, right. But, and there's no backstory to Hannah, you know, at all. Right. There's no information about But they say, like, some poor creeter, where is it? Let's read the way they write. So Hannah says, goodness only knows, some poor creeter come a-begging, and your ma went straight off to see what was needed. There never was such a woman for giving away vittles and drink, clothes and firing. So I don't, I don't know what the hell kind of accent that's supposed to be. Poor creeter? Creeter? I guess. Maybe she's just a poor English lady. Maybe. Maybe it's supposed to be like Cockney? I don't know. I don't know, any, I don't know very I don't much know. about Eng- England. If anyone who listens to this ever knows about England, Come and tell an us email. what kind of accent they're trying to make Hannah have, because it's not clear. Yeah. All right. You can email us at queeringlittlewomen at gmail.com or is yeah. it queering.little.women? Um, with Gmail, it actually doesn't matter if you Wait, have the dots really? or not. Wait, really? The dots yeah. are whatever? Yeah, you can put the dots in or not in a Gmail. You're blowing my mind. Okay, queering little women. Put any fucking, put a dot every letter if you if want. If you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you can reach us if you want to send us feedback or tell us what you think or if you want to be a guest on our podcast. We is. Especially, we're looking for people whose names are Amy and Beth. But we'll accept other people as well. Sure. 
Um, as long as you don't mind being called Amy or Beth. That will happen. That will help. Because we have a Joe <laughs> and we have a Meg already. That's right. But we're open to whatever. 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 Pretty much whatever. Pretty much whatever. Or or maybe your name could be Lori. Your name That'd could... be fine. If you're a parent at all, you could definitely play the parts of Marmy, of Marmy on the show. If you're like Aunt March, you're a little crotchety. If you're just like super like telling people what to do and then falling asleep. Sounds like a pretty good life to me. <laughs> we, we would love to hear from you. We would love to hear from you. So you can reach us at queeringlittlewomen at gmail.com. Join um, us next time on Queering Little Women when we discuss chapter three, the Lawrence boy. You know what we should do is we should have some sort of, we should do like a plug if we have like a way to contact us. For Gilmore guys, they have, they call it where, where you tweet, I will follow because the Gilmore girls song is That's so true. <laughs> where you lead, tweet, I will follow, I will follow. Any, anywhere that you tell me to, if you need, you need me to be with you, I will follow. Oh, oh, oh. Like the computer, I don't like to twit, or I don't know how to Twit's do that. Not... Okay, we, so we should just, so we should just say that. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> we should just say that. Listen, we're doing a podcast on a book that's 150 years old. Do you think that we twit? <laughs> <laughs> maybe Kyla. Well, because Kyla likes a computer, so maybe she'll twit. Do you twit? She's a twitter. <laughs> Sounds like twat, though. I know. Oh, you were doing that on purpose. I know that was a deliberate twat reference. (laughs) You know that twat is a slang term for a vagina. Twat, twat, twat. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Where you lead, I will follow. Any anywhere that you tell me to. If you need, you need me to be with you. I will follow where you lead.